Welcome back to the Gentle Catholic Parenting Podcast, where I explore gentle, positive principles of parenting through the lens of our Catholic faith. I'm Kim Cameron Smith, and this is episode 24. Today's show is part of a series I'm doing on family rituals and routines. So far, I've done a show on family dinner rituals, and last time I did a show on bedtime rituals. So if you want to listen to those shows, be sure to check them out on my website, intentionalcatholicparenting.com, or you can listen to those shows on your favorite podcast app. Today I'm going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, play. There are so many um, rich discussions we could have about play, but I'll focus on different um, play routines and rituals. So I have four little things I want to cover today. First, what is play and what isn't play? What counts as play, basically? Why kids need play? In fact, all humans need play, but we'll talk about kids. I'll offer some tips for um, implementing family play rituals in your home. And then I'm going to talk about how your home routines can actually facilitate and create invitations to your child for solitary play because solitary play is so important for kids emerging identity. So I'll talk about those four things today. So let's just jump into it. The first topic is what is and isn't play? What counts as play? So just think about it in your own life. You know, when do you feel um, like you're playing? Here's a list of criteria that some play theory, theorist um, put forward to say, like, what counts as play? First, it's voluntary. It's voluntary. It's done for its, it's, it's not obligatory. There's no duty attached to it. So they would think that if you're working, you're at work, then you're not playing because you're obligated to be there. It's fun. It's, it's a, it cures boredom. So if you're not having fun, you're not playing. Although I think sometimes you can be bored and it leads to play, right? It is improvisational. It's something is play if you are not locked into um, a rigid way of looking at things. If you're open to moving in new directions, if you're open to serendipity, um, you know, it's like in, in those moments when you're willing to kind of bring together disconnected things. So think of a kid playing with a big box full of Legos compared to following a set of instructions for putting the Lego fire truck together or something. I mean, both of them could be play, but um, one is more improvisational. The other aspect is, of it is that you get lost in time and you forget yourself. You get lost in time and you forget yourself. You're in flow. I love this this quality of play. Your, your consciousness of yourself um, when you're playing, it actually diminishes. This is why play theologians, there actually are play theologians who their whole um, career, they focus on questions about God and play and how God is the first and the greatest player. So play theologians believe a playful nature is necessary to grow spiritually. When we play, we're mirroring God. God didn't have to create the world. He, he, he played when he was creating the world. He didn't even have to create it. He just did. So when we do something that we're not obligated to do, and we're doing it with flourish and um, 
and, and we're experimenting, that is reflecting God in us. Probably the most famous play theologian is Jürgen Moltmann. And I read his book on, um, on play. And he teaches in that book that when we play, we anticipate our liberation in heaven, right? We're anticipating that time when, we're, when, when, we, when we will toil no more, when we will um, be suspended above time. You see, and that's why I mentioned that is like this, even secular play theorists, they talk about how play, like you forget yourself and you get lost in time. And play theologians think that is like pre like we're getting a little like mini taste of what heaven's going to be like, but we'll be suspended. Um, there'll be like a suspension of time and we'll feel just completely open to the divine and in self-forgetfulness, right? So the self-forgetting in play is a moment of liberation, right? From, from the the prison of the self of always worrying about you know what we look like what wish sh what should we be doing are we doing something wrong and that's why going back to the improvisational thing if you are locked into doing something the right way like if a child feels like they have to color the tree only a particular shade of green they're not playing anymore that play involves this sense of freedom and not um, being limited by rigidity um, the other quality that many but not all play theorists um, cite is that play is done for its own sake and not reward that if there is some type of practical reward like earning money or winning that it's not play and I left that one for last because I'm actually not sure I agree with that I think that you know because that would exclude all work it would exclude all work and we know many people who lived a delicious life because their work was play think about Einstein and Jürgen Moltmann and his whole Many great theologians and philosophers, their whole life was delicious because their work had this quality of play. It had those other things, voluntariness. It was fun to them. They experimented with ideas. So anyway, like I take the point that play is done for its own sake and not reward. You know, if you have like tight deadlines, even your playful work can become stressful. But I guess... You know what I think I'm trying to say? I'm trying to say that even if you you are working, and I agree that when you're working, you're not technically playing, I think within work, there can be a quality of play, right? Okay, so that's that's um, the first topic. And next, we're going to talk about why, why do kids play? All kids play. We know that it's just part of human development. All, all kids play. And in my book, I actually go through the stages of childhood development and how play, um, how those developmental tasks are practiced through a child's play. So for example, a little toddler, um, they're practicing their motor skills in their play. They're, they're running around, like you can never stop a, a toddler and that's because they're, they're practicing their motor skills in their play. Play sculpts the brain. Stuart Brown he is a doctor who studies play. He talks about this um, aspect of play. The complexity of the brain is enhanced 
most of all by the hours a child spends in play. So motor, perceptual, cognitive, social, emotional parts of the brain, they integrate and they get wired up in the child's brain in their play. So think if, they're, if they never have time for play, that's, that stuff's not happening. One other aspect of it, um, play is very therapeutic. When a child has a bad day, when a child is going through a transition, when they experience a loss, it comes out in their play. It's important that they have play because it, particularly for um, pre-verbal children or children who have trouble articulating their thoughts, they will express emotion in their play, right? So emotions um, always have work to do for us, but if they're left unexpressed, they will turn foul and they will come out sideways in tantrums or hitting, um, or they just get stuffed down. And so when kids are pre-verbal and they can't really express their um, what's going on for them verbally, or if they're hesitant to talk about it because they don't feel connected to us for some reason or open to talking to us, it often comes out in their play. So play is very powerful in moving a child's unexpressed emotions into his consciousness so they can do their work. So play is very important, right? God in his goodness gives his creatures everything they need to reach their destiny. Thomas Aquinas teaches that in the Summa Theologica. God gives all of his creatures what they need to reach their destiny. Our ultimate destiny is heaven. Play has some role in getting us to heaven. If we're too serious all the time, we will never notice the way God continually reaches out to surprise us and to play with us. That goes for children and adults. So play is just part of how we're wired as human beings. We need it. Okay, so now I want to talk about encouraging you to implement family play rituals in your home. Um, playing with your kids is one of the best ways to build rapport with them. It's very, very powerful in um, nourishing the attachment roots, roots that I talk about all the time. If we never have fun together, if um, our role as parents, you know, like if we, the way we um, practice our vocation as a parent, if it's limited to, you know, telling our kids, it's time to do your homework. It's time to do chores. It's time to go to bed. It's time to eat dinner. Let's clean up after dinner. Those are all really important because those are type of rituals, right? They keep a child's life in order. But if our lives are limited to that, it's hard to nourish connection because it's like one big long to-do list. Now, Definitely, you will nourish connections doing those things because you're having conversations. You're, when you're cleaning up after dinner, you're having conversations, but the rapport, and you can even play while you're doing those things, right? You can sing while you're doing the dishes, but this is the important thing, and that counts. If you sing songs while you're doing the dishes, you know, that's, um, that's having a playful spirit with your kids. All right, so playing with your kids, um, it's very important for nurturing the attachment roots, the six ways of attaching that I've talked about before. So remember those, 
physical proximity, drawing close to your child, sameness, your child feeling that they're the same as you, significance, belonging, psychological intimacy, and emotional intimacy. All these roots of attachment, they will grow deeper and become stronger through play. Indeed, through any ritual, but definitely through play because play is so great for helping us all let our guards down so that we can connect, okay? If your kids are attached to you, they're more likely to follow you in doing what you need them to do, including eating the food you provide and going where you need them to go, um, if they're attached to you, right? Greg Popchak often says, rules without rapport leads to rebellion. Rules without rapport leads to rebellion. So building rapport through play will actually help all those chores, homework, all of that stuff go more smoothly, right? So again, doing the chores, doing the homework with them, of course you're nourishing the roots, but play will really help us um, build rapport even more with our kids. When your kids feel connected to you, they're more likely to follow you in doing what you need them to do, right? Children are actually wired to resist people they're not attached to. It's one of the way nature um, keeps them safe from outsiders. But if our kids aren't attached to us and they begin to resist us, not only is it frustrating, but it's bad for them because we can't lead them where they need to go. So anyway, playing with your kids, making it a central part of your family a routine will make the rest of the routines click, make them go more smoothly. Again, just having a playful, lighthearted attitude anytime is really great. But beyond this, let's talk about um, having regular play dates with our kids. We can make it part of our family routine. You can have play rituals, um, you know, when they wake up in the morning, you can sing the same song, you can um, have races to see who can get dressed first, right? So just doing those everyday things, you can turn it into a game. Many of us in our homes, we have a special time set aside every week for family playtime. And that, that's just such a great thing to do because then it's on the calendar and everyone knows that on that night or that afternoon or whatever, nothing else um, will interfere with family play. Okay, so in my home, we tend to do that, you know, on the weekends, but other people do it at different times. Just think about what your family likes doing. Every family is different. There are the old standards, you know, family movie night and game night, but think outside the box. Think outside the box. Nurture your connection by exploring shared hobbies, right? Because you're nurturing your connection because you're nurturing sameness by, by um, exploring shared hobbies together. So if you're all really into movies, maybe instead of watching a movie, um, you can um, make a movie together or you can start creating a journal of movies that you've watched and really use movies as a um, launching point to discuss them. If you're a sporty family, you can have a family baseball afternoon every week. If you enjoy nature, you can um, go on nature hikes, but you can also download nature scavenger hunts, which turns it into a, it is so much fun. When you have a nature scavenger hunt, it really, um, it's really fun. 
If it's a hot day, turn the hose on your trampoline and splash together, right? Just kind of create like fun, kooky things. Um, and then just other things that we did as kids that we love, like sharing your favorite games with them. Um, if you loved gardening, sharing that, if you loved gardening when you were a kid, sharing that love with your child. My husband and my 10-year-old during the COVID-19 pandemic, because we're all stuck at home together, they've started a vegetable garden together. And so every morning they go out together and they check on their little buds and they've put up netting around it. And it's just been a really good um, thing for them to do together. If you guys, if your family's crafty, even if some of your family's crafty, like my girls and I, we really like sewing and doing crafts and the guys are not so into that. But you know, that's a way for me to connect with my girls. So sometimes in our family play night, the girls and I will craft and the guys will, um, you know, play video games or whatever. And then we all come together to have dessert. So just think outside the box. One other thing I wanna mention, imaginary play. A lot of um, adults, we shy away from this. So we have imaginary play tools for our kids, like their costumes and everything, but we don't, we don't play with that. Like we like, adults I think tend to like play that has um, an outcome. Like we'll play sports with our kids or we'll bake with them because we feel comfortable with that. But we feel like we've left behind you know, standing on our beds and pretending like we're on a raft, you know, or we're a pirate or something, right? If your kids invite you into their imaginary play, I would say yes sometimes. So um, kids sometimes practice things they're working on by becoming imaginary characters, right? So let's say they're um, nervous about going to school. They will play school and they'll they'll become the teacher. So they feel like you know, they are in control. So they're practicing what they're worried about. Or, you know, the, the uh, shy child in their imaginary play will become a very assertive um, leader, like maybe a um, general or, you know, even being the teacher, like feel if they feel shy, they will sort of take the lead in their play. You know, usually in my in my writing, you guys know that I recommend that parents take a strong lead in their relationship with their kids that in our relationship with our kids we we never let our kids take care of us we make it very clear that we're in charge that we're responsible for them they're not responsible for us right well so you know i would never want my child to feel like they need to be the parent the exception is in imaginary play it's actually tons of fun to let your child be the parent and then you be the preschooler. <laughs> so then you get to be the three-year-old not wanting to put their shoes on. And it's it's a lot of fun. To be honest, um, I'm more comfortable with play that does have an outcome like playing board games or something. I think most adults feel that way. But I do pl um, play imaginary play with my kids and I will often let them take the lead. But just... When the play's over, just give the signal. Now you're the mom again, or you're in the lead again. I mean, you don't even have to really say it. You just just take the lead. You know what I'm saying. Okay, so those are just some of my um, tips for, you know, having family play rituals. One really important thing is teaching your kids about the faith can be done playfully. In fact, I think it's best done playfully. 
with my preschoolers, I used, um, let me see if I have it. Okay, so there's this series called, I have one, right? There's this series called Godly Play. It is, it's available on Amazon. You know, I actually really like Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, but it was just very hard for me to find materials. So this is kind of similar. It is written by a Protestant author, but it, it's based around the liturgical year. And there's a different volume for different liturgical seasons. And it just gives you all these really great ideas. Um, it doesn't only give you ideas, it gives you a script for how to talk to your children about the faith in a playful way. Anyway, I really love it. You might want to check that out. I'll put a link to it um, on my website in the show notes. Really, any of your family faith rituals have probably have some quality of play to them. Um, if you're using special ob objects and books that your children are interacting with with you, it will take on a playful qual quality. Think of the like liturgical teas that we do, and um, you know when we bring the nativity set out at Christmas. If we're allowing our children to hold those objects and ask questions about them, they're a great way to spark wonder. Right? You can even wonder with your child. Oh, I wonder what, you know, Mary was thinking looking at her, the baby Jesus. What do you think he was, what do you think she was um, thinking? So just wondering along with your kids about the faith, it sparks their imagination and it helps them develop curiosity about the faith. And that's what we want. Okay, so the last topic, so that's playing with your kids, having rituals to play with your kids. Well, kids need to play alone. Not only do we not have time to always play with our children, they actually need solitary play. So you don't need to be their enter entertainment director all the time. And kids will naturally play in the right circumstances. So we can create those circumstances. We can create the right space for play to emerge quite naturally without doing anything, right? We just have to create an environment that invites the play and is conducive to it. Deborah McNamara talks about this in her book, Rest, Play, Grow. It's a really good book. I'll link to that as well. So kids need physical space where they can let their guard down, whether that's in their own room, if there's a corner of your living room, that's their play space, if it's a craft closet, depending on what age they are, right? So they just need to recognize that signal that play is waiting for them that play is waiting for them and then so they can respond to the invitation. In my kids' rooms, I have areas for different kinds of play. Well, actually now it's mostly just Lydia because my older kids sort of have control of their space. So my youngest, she has different, I have different um, zones, you know, so like of course she has her bookshelves and then I have baskets with costumes in it and then she has board games on one shelf and then some craft kits. Right, so she can easily see what the play invitations are. I even will display things on her bookshelves so that kind of like the way librarians do so, so that um, people notice the book. Well, I do that in Lydia's room. I'll sort of display a toy so that or some object or something to invite her to interact with it. Um, and this, this play should be happening without their peers around. So of course we always have these play dates and we think 
you know, during the COVID-19 pandemic, our kids are being tortured. But really, many of you probably know intuitively that your kids, you know, they don't always need their peers around. They need time completely alone to be in their own heads. This is how uh, their personality emerges and it's how their passions develop. So there, it's hard for, kids are very self-conscious around their peers, so it's harder for that to happen. Not that it couldn't happen, but it just happens more naturally, you know, when they're playing by themselves. A really interesting point that Deborah McNamara makes in that book, um, Rest, Play, Grow, is that routines protect playtime. Routines protect playtime. Because play isn't actually necessary for survival, right? And because it often lacks that sense of urgency that we feel around some of our other activities, like, you know, work deadlines or sports practices or whatever, it's easy to let play slip. We may realize like several days have gone by and we, have, we, didn't, we haven't seen our kids playing by themselves. So this is where we as the parents can take the lead and become the master of our calendars to ensure that our children have free time for play. Our daily routines can include a balance between chores, structured activities like sports and classes, homework, and then that doing nothing time, that completely open free time when our kids can really let their guards down and play. So when, when we're planning our weekly calendars, you know, whether that's at the beginning of the school year or just this coming week or whatever, we can try to carve out chunks of time, maybe whole days where our children can be home without outside commitments, right? So if you're planning your week this week, you can make sure to plan some time in. But even when you're planning your weekly schedule, like, a school year in advance, like when I'm planning our homeschool year, I try to coordinate our days so that there's at least one day where we're actually not going anywhere. For some, for some people that is not um, possible, but at least try to have good chunks of time where your kids can kind of let their um, let their guard down and just let their minds rest and uh, allow boredom to turn into creativity and real play. The critical point is that, and this is so, Deborah McNamara made this point and it was so important. Our routines can make play easier, right? So not only are our routines in general good for our kids, they facilitate play when we include play in planning out our, our calendars, okay? So anyway, I hope that gives you some food for thought and a little inspiration on um, how to play with your kids and to facilitate your kids' play. You know, especially right now, as I record this, we are going through the COVID-19 crisis. Kids are more alarmed right now. We are more alarmed. We parents are more alarmed. We're more um, distracted. We all need some play to kind of like let our emotions do their work. We need to take up a relationship with our emotions through our play. 
and, um, and to nurture our relationships in play. So let's remember that right now. I'll be praying for all of you that you'll have a playful day today and that you will feel God inviting you to play. So that is it for today. You can read show notes for this podcast on my website, intentionalcatholicparenting.com. There you'll find articles, links, links to research on parenting and child development. You'll also find links to connect with me on social media. And I love to hear from you. So please um, drop me a line. Pray for me as I will for you. God bless you. Have a great day. 